Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We are ending our John series, although we're going to be go to move over to the Gospel of John and we're going to look at kind of Jesus's last days. I don't know if you've ever noticed that the Gospels slow down. Like you'll have all this, all this um, writing, all these chapters, but when you get to Jesus's last days, it's like you have a lot more chapters going on in all the Gospels. And so, and John in particular. So we're going to be looking at Jesus's last days, kind of getting us through Lent and into Easter through the gospel of John. But here we are in one of the smallest letters in the New Testament, or the smallest letter in the New Testament, uh, 3 John, this small little letter. And what I like about this letter is it's a little bit of a balance. Last week's letter was written to a lady or to the church or both. And it was about, don't take those people who are messing with who Jesus is, who are not saying that Jesus is, as we just confessed, right? Um, God come in the flesh, right? <laughs> Suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and buried. They, there were these people who had been part of the church, but they went out from the church and they didn't believe who Jesus was. And he's, John's like, don't bring them in your house. Don't greet them, like, like keep separation from them because they're like a virus. But now in this chapter, we've got somebody who is not welcoming true believers into their house. So it's kind of like a, a balance uh, chapter. And uh, years ago, I was at a different church and I was leading worship there and a guy comes in who was a friend of somebody else and they had just invited him to church with them, and we start talking a little bit, and he tells me he plays drums, and we needed a drummer for the following week, and I thought, well, I didn't do a practice, so I hoped he played well enough. You know what I mean, right? Kenny hit on two and four, and, um, and then we had a practice during the day, which was very unusual, but somehow our band could uh, practice in the afternoon, and I say to the drummer, I go, hey, what are you going to do now? And he says, oh, I'm going to go find a laundromat. Where's a laundromat? I'm like, my house. Why don't you just go to my house and do laundry? So I took him over to my house and um, got him set up. And I said, hey, I can't hang out with you because I got a meeting back at church. But go ahead and do laundry and just lock the door when you leave. Now, I didn't really know him. He was kind of a stranger to me. I had one quick meeting, and then I had a practice with him. And I called my wife, and I'm like, hey, Gretchen, you know, puts, there's a stranger in our house. Um, <laughs> There's not a lot to steal. Um, so, you know, um, and yet uh, it was the beginning. And Billy has been here a long time, and he would testify. Like, I've heard him say, yeah, I can't believe it. The pastor just lets me in his house, and he lets me, and he's like, I don't know him from Adam. You know, but I don't know. There was something about offering him hospitality that helped connect us. I don't know how many years. That had to be probably, I'm going to guess, 96, right? And it was just beginning of a friendship with Billy. But it began with hospitality. And, and that's really what this book is about, hospitality. You have three people in the book, Gaius, who is uh, encouraged 
and commended for being hospitable. Diotrephes, who is a leader in the church and is inhospitable. And then you have another guy who's commended, and I'll tell you why at the end of the message. But the scripture begins like this. The elder, the elder, this is John, to the beloved Gaius. He has love all over his writings. Whom I love in truth. Beloved. So it's like three loves right there. I pray in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now, some commentators believe he was not like as well as he could be. He wasn't as healthy as he could be. And so he's saying, I pray that your physical body is as good as your spiritual body. I think in America, we might turn that around and go, you know, hey, your physical body, that's pretty healthy, but I pray that your spiritual body, which looks uh, emaciated, would get a little stronger. Uh, and then he says, for I was very glad when the brethren came and bore witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in the truth. And of course, truth is against the lies of what the other people were saying. But who else is the truth? Jesus, right? So you're walking in Jesus. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify of your love before the church. So he is bringing in, so somebody comes to a town, they have a letter of recommendation, and he welcomes them, the strangers, into his home. And he's saying, because they did have inns in those days, but they were not the kind of places you would want to stay. Right? And so these brothers are being welcomed into his home. And he says, you do well to send them on their journey in a worthy manner. And they were about telling people about Jesus. They were uh, evangelists. And he's like, you give them a place to stay. You feed them. You care for them. And you send them on their way like stronger. Uh, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So they weren't getting any support Sometimes they say pagans, sometimes they say Gentiles, but they weren't getting any support from the world. They only were getting support from the church. For therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers in the truth. So he's like, you bring these people into your house and what they're doing, you're connected to. Right? Just like we send money uh, to different missionaries, we support people. I had uh, lunch with somebody who's gonna uh, come on staff with... Um, Youth for Christ, and try to get a group going in the Brexville Broadview Heights school system, right? And we'll probably make that person the mission of the month, and in a sense, we partner with them and send her on her way. So he greets them, and then he's like, you are a great example of hospitality. Now, when we think hospitality, we think of like a waiter or a waitress, you know, and how can I serve you? But I think it's so much bigger than that. I think, I think the, the picture of hospitality really has to do with the culture of the church. Like, what do people in the church experience? What do people who connect to the church experience? Because the Bible has a lot to say about that. You know, I'm reading again with Gretchen this book called You're Not Crazy. And in it, they say churches should be organized like this. Jesus, community, right? Like fellowship, hospitality, and mission. Because if you put mission second, right? Then, then it, it doesn't have the support it needs. And the community in the church is essential for mission. 
In the book, they say this, the beauty of community in the church is that it's meant to make the gospel known and even compelling. And it will not be a captivating voice for the truth if it's not living as a beautiful family. Jesus himself shows us this when he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, some people, they are not too into our, like, greeting time in church, especially introverts, and I'm sorry, you know, and um, Christian, they're hugging. And, uh, and so, but, but why do we have something like that? Well, because years ago, I would tell people to greet each other and wouldn't shut up, and I decided to let it go. But, <laughs> but aside from the fact, it, there's, there's something about, like, the, the togetherness right? Like, I'm glad that we stream our service, and I love it when I'm driving on vacation and I could be, like, worshiping together, you know, except when my phone, you know, loses signal, middle gym sermon, and I don't know what he's saying, right? Um, but but I, I, that's not church, right? Church is the gathering of believers. It's, it's not a consumer thing. Like, there's stuff that God wants from each of us and uh, to, to put in to the whole thing. There's a, my, how they love one another. Like, this is the body of Christ serving and listening and praying and caring and, and truly loving one another. And, and that is a, like a, a witness to the world. Like, how would you, if you were writing scripture, how would you have finished this sentence? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have you know, like if you have hip, good-looking, and popular people, if you're politically savvy, right? You know, like, like you might fill that in in certain ways that would not be how Jesus filled it in. He's like, you know what? My church is to be about love. Uh, in the book I've been reading, he says, in our hearts, we sometimes believe that the world will know we're Jesus' disciples if we're more impressive than our surrounding culture if we have mic drop answers to every skeptic's question, if our people seem more put together than everyone else, or if our preacher is always telegenic and our music team always gives a virtuoso performance. But Jesus puts his emphasis elsewhere. What will most clearly show the presence of heaven on earth is our love for one another. Our shared love is not an afterthought as though what really matters were those other things and that our love for one another is an added bonus. No, the quality of our relational life in our churches is to be an apologetic. Okay, big word. It's to be like um, a, a, a witness for the world around us. As Francis Schaeffer once wrote, Jesus is giving the world permission to judge whether we are true Christian disciples on the basis of whether we love one another. So he's like, it's like a litmus test for the church. You know, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. It's like, do you look and is there love in the church? Now, when I read this, I cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. Because I don't feel as loving as I should be or could be. And maybe when you look at your life, you don't feel that way either, right? And I think that's probably not a bad way to be, 
right? Because if you look at yourself and go, you know, I'm a good lover, I love everybody, right? You probably are far from the truth. So I think all of us are people who have to go like, Lord, your word says, if I abide in you, I'll bear much fruit. So my knowledge of my inability to love as you would want me to love, remember, love is my life for yours, not your life for mine, my life for yours. And Lord, may, may, you, may I abide in you in such a way that that kind of fruit, that love fruit is born in me. And it should drive us back to spending time in God's word and prayer and community of believers so we can be that. Now, that was the first guy. And Gaius was somebody who was commended for showing hospitality, for, for making the church a loving place. Now you've got this church leader, Diatrophes, and he is not the same. Look what John says. I have written something to the church, but Diatrophes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Isn't this fascinating? I always think, oh, the early church, the good old days when everything was good and right. And here you have, and sorry, I don't believe all the apostles were white, and I don't think they were cartoons either. But um, <laughs> here you have John, who is like on the inside group with Jesus. And, and, and here Diatrophes is like, yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't get his authority. Like, he, he just wasn't one of the 12. He was one of the three. And he might have been the only one still alive when this was written. They don't know if it was written before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 70 AD. Then maybe there were some other apostles alive or after. But, but here you have an insider with Jesus. And this church leader is like, yeah, no, no, we don't, we don't respect his authority. We don't take. He might have actually been a follower of Jesus because of John. And he just disses him. And he also, um, he also puts himself first. So this guy has like grown and now he's leadership in the church. And he's like, no, I don't accept authority from anybody else. And I like to be first. So what does Jesus say on leadership? Look what he says. Jesus calls them, that's his disciples to him. And he says, you know, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Look at that. Jesus is going, that is not the way you do church. Years ago, I was uh, at... I attended a church. I wasn't a member there, but I attended a lot. I really respected the pastor, and I needed some counsel. So I, um, I made an appointment with the pastor, and after the service, I went over into his office and sat down, and he is like barking orders at like the other people there and the secretaries and stuff. Now, I was young, and I was a newer believer, and I'm like, oh, I guess this is how pastors are. They're generals, and I just bark orders around, you know, that must what makes him a great pastor, right? No, he was a jerk, and um, <laughs> who could preach well, right? A jerk who could preach well. I've been that too, right? And and uh, and pastors like it shall not be with you. Like if the building's on fire, I'm going to bark orders, right? An active shooter comes in, I'm barking orders, right? But not on a regular basis, 
right? I mean, this is the, this, this is the way it is in the church. It should, it, it, it's not like the world. We're different. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Horse and His Boy, I really like what he has to say about leadership. And he says, for this is what it means to be a king, to be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. When there's hunger in the land, to wear finer clothes, laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in the land. What is he saying? I'm servant. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll take the most risks. I'll take the most hits. Why? Because in the church, you don't put yourself at the top of the list. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. Why? Where did Jesus put himself on the list? Oh, I think I'll die for the sins of the world. He put himself at the bottom, and his servants aren't to look anything but like Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So greatness in Jesus' eyes is not measured by how many people are under us, but how many people we, we regard as above us. We're kind of convicting, isn't it? Because you walk into a crowd and you're going above, below, above, below, right? You, you know what I mean, right? Like you're, you're doing, it's, 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 it's in our nature. And Jesus walks into a crowd and goes... I'm going to die for all of them, right? I'm putting myself at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you want help with this, uh, don't look at the world, look at Jesus. And you're like, Lord, you made yourself nothing for me. You emptied yourself for me. And therefore, even when I feel like I should put myself above people, I could put myself in my mind, read Philippians 2, Below people, think of others higher than myself. That's leadership, and that's love. And this, when you have a culture in a church that looks like this, other people come in and go, oh, it doesn't seem to function like normal businesses function, right? There's something different going on here. So the scripture continues, and he says, so if I come to you, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us. What's going on here? Gossip, slander. But that's how you get ahead sometimes in business. You want your boss to, to think better of you? Just, just get some well-timed words in there about the other employees. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. Churches with gossip can just be ruined, right? Families, business, like it can just ruin you. You know, when David's son wanted to take over the kingdom, you know what he did? He sat at the gate and people would come through because they, they looked to the king to judge. It's like the court system. So he'd come in and say, you know, my dad is going to be too busy. He's not going to really be able to handle that. He's not going to give you the right answers that you're looking for. So um, if I were king, if I, if I were king, well, then I would give you the right answers. Oh, it also says he would, like, greet them all with a big, like, a hug and a kiss, you know, and, and, and tell them. And you know what the Bible says? 
Absalom did this to all the Israelites who came to the king for justice. In this way, he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So he goes in, he slanders his dad, and he wins the hearts over. Like something real is going on. Why gossip feels so good? Did you know that uh, gossip triggers a spike in oxytocin? That's the bonding chemical. That's what happens in moms when they feed their babies. That's a hormone associated with bonding and good feelings. And people, I believe, can get addicted to gossip because it feels good. And you know what happens when you gossip? It like bonds you together with these people. So you got your little cadre going on, us against them. It, it, there's something sweet about gossip. And um, when you were a kid, did anybody ever say, oh, she has a crush on you? Or he has a crush on you? You know what I'm talking about. And you, in your heart, you didn't feel anything towards that person, maybe. But then after you heard that, something real happened inside of you, didn't it? Oh, maybe I need to think about that, right? <laughs> Right? Or it was like, oh, I need to avoid that person, right? Like, you know, like there was something that changed. And when you gossip about somebody, when you slander them, all, when, when you know what happens, if somebody says something gossipy or slanderous about somebody, something changes inside of you. And when you see that person, you have that memory, right? You think that thing. Do you, like, like they put it in there and it's real and it's in there and it doesn't have to be true, it doesn't have to be, but it's influenced you in a certain way. This can be poison in the church. Yes, in the world, you might be able to get ahead with it, right? But in the church, it does not have a place. Somebody gossips to you, tell me, you know, I really don't want to hear it. Why don't you tell the person you're talking about? Whew. You know, that, that's a different culture. What should the church do? Like if somebody confesses their sin to you, that is not a license to tell the world. I think of Noah, the righteous man, builds an ark. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of salvation, right? Goes through the, the waters of chaos again and then plants a vineyard and gets drunk and his one son makes fun of him. And what do his other sons do? They do what we should do. When somebody has sinned, we should minister the grace and gospel of our Lord and forgive them. The, the sons walked backwards and covered their dad's nakedness. You know, I don't know why, but there's something that it, when, when you don't feel good about yourself, if you can point out somebody else's mistakes, you're like, oh, now I feel bad. You know what? The attention's off of you. It's on them, Right? Yeah, don't allow shame to take you to places like that. Put the, put the blanket on your shoulder and cover up other people's stuff. Because isn't this what Jesus did? You know, when you see pictures of Jesus on the cross, you typically don't see him naked. But he was. I've seen art that is depicted with Jesus naked, and I, I have to look away. Like, I, I'm, it's too much, especially if they increase the blood, right? Because I think he was really bloody and beat up and broken and naked. Can you think of anything more shameful? And Jesus says to the church, he's like, I took your shame. 
I bore that so your sins are covered. And now you're clothed in righteousness. I mean, do you see that? Gossip goes the opposite direction and ruins the church, and this leader was all about it. And you know what I do? Like, if somebody comes to me and shares something, because it's part of the job of a pastor, right? There's this one Seinfeld episode that's hilarious because um, Elaine talks to a rabbi, and she shares her most personal secrets, and he has, like, this public television program, and he shares her personal secrets in, in public, and he'll go, and let's call her Elaine, right? You know, he's like, yeah, right. And he should, she's like, oh my goodness, right? Yeah, and, and, and I was given a hat that says, like, warning, pastor, anything you do and say can be used as a sermon illustration, you know. Um, but here's the deal. Somebody gives you something, somebody shares something private with you, a confession of sin, anything, it's not mine. It's like they've handed me something that's theirs and said, hold on to this. I can't give it to anybody because it's not mine. If, if somebody shares something private with you, it's not yours to give away. It's yours to hold on to. It's a trust between friends. Right? Do you see that? It, I don't care what it is. Unless somebody says to me or if I call them and go, hey, can I share that story or whatever, then it, it, it's, uh, that's fine. But if not, it's something that you hold on to and you don't share because it hurts relationships and ruins churches. And, and then he goes and he refuses to welcome the brother. So Diatrophes doesn't like John. He disses John. He doesn't respect him. And when John sends men with letters, right, sends evangelists into that town or a message, Diotrephe says, no, don't welcome them into your house. Don't take them in. Don't be the hotel. Don't offer them hospitality. He refuses, but not only that, when somebody else takes them in, he goes, kick them out of the church. He excommunicates them. He, uh, he, goes, uh, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who want to, wants to and puts them out of the church. I mean, look at this guy. Hair past air, right? He's like, I'm the leader. You go against my stuff. I cancel you. I kick you out of the church. There are reasons for people to leave the church, but it isn't showing hospitality, Right? I, I, my mind went to a, a pastor that was, um, he used his power inappropriately. And he had a goal of having a church of 50,000 people. And if you challenged his authority, he turned on you and kicked you out. I don't care if you were an elder or whatever. He turned on you. He spoke about you, God. He got you out. And this is his own words. There's a pile of dead bodies behind the church bus. The, he said the name of his church. And by God's grace, it'll be a mountain when we're done. Basically, you get in my way, I'm running you over. This bus is going to go to 50,000 in attendance. You either get on the bus, meaning you either go my way and what I want, or the bus will run over you. These are the two options. Jesus said, in the church... It shall not be that way with you. But here's an interesting thing. John says, so if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. I think 
John was hoping to get there and would hope Diotrephes would repent. I mean, I, I would say there's always hope for fallen leaders or people who have gone astray, and I would hope that Diotrephes would repent, and I hope that the, if there's gossip in your life or gossip in my life, if there's stuff in our lives, that we would be people who would repent because repentance is a characteristic, not a one-time event, but of our whole lives. It's not an action of a single moment, right? Sinclair Ferguson said that, and Luther said, all of life is repentance. I mean, the Apostle Paul said, not that I've already attained it or uh, have become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I am also was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul's like, I'm not perfect, but I press on. Right? And this is the goal of all believers, progress, not perfection. A pastor and a leader in the church or a leader in a family, right, or a leader in a business, not perfection, but progress. That's the antidote of a domineering ministry, progress. And this is the way it should be. Um, and he continues, and he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whatever, uh, whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Isn't that interesting language? He's like, you get a glimpse of Jesus, and it's going to change you. You can't meet Jesus without change happening. And if you are doing evil, you're not looking at how Jesus is, right? This isn't how Jesus was. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So what is he saying here? He's saying often evil manipulation and abuse of power, like what Diatrophes is doing, are so effective that we can be tempted to use the same tactic. You know, it works, right? It works. And we go, yeah, that's how the church should be. But we cannot do divine work by devilish means. We will never advance the truth if we undermine it by the way we act. I mean, isn't that true? You look and you go, well, it worked for that pastor and it works for this and it works in the world. This is how the church should be. No, no, it isn't how the church. So be imitators, not of evil, but what is good. Because if you have seen Jesus, you've seen a different way of doing things. But now you've got this guy, Demetrius, and he's received a good testimony. You know what I think? He's a letter carrier. I think Demetrius carries this little short letter and he brings it to the church and, and he's getting a testimony from John so that he can be brought into Gaius' home, right? So, so Gaius will welcome him on his way. It's like, this is also a testimony about the guy carrying the letter. Bring him into your home. Treat him well. He's, he's doing the work of God. And I thought, you know what? We're letter carriers, aren't we? I mean, you and I, whether it's through our mouth or text or emails or real letters, like we're people who are bringing the word of God to the world. And my mind went to my mom. Because my mom, if she met you, she and heard a need or something in your life, she would um, write you a letter. And she would pray about scriptures to give you. 
So I was, I was cleaning out a, like a thing, and, and I, have all the, I have all these cards and letters. I don't know why they're saved. But I come across this one from my mom. And it's, it's when I turned 30, so it, it, it's parchment. And, um, and she's like, dear Doug, it's so hard for me to believe that it's been 30 years since Dad and I welcomed you into the world and our family. I know how hard you work and how faithful, faithful you are to the Lord. And that is uh, uh, how faithful you are to our Lord. That it is hard for me as a parent not to see things go more smoothly for you. While I was in prayer, the Lord led me to these verses. I pray they will encourage you and lift you up. I'm so proud of you, Mom. First parents, what do you say about your kids? Like, what a mom. You know, I think she's been dead for like six years. Um, and she says, I rem here's her scripture to me. Remember how it was with you in the past. In those days after God's light had shone on you, how you suffered many things, yet were not defeated by the struggle. You were at times publicly insulted and mistreated. At other times, you were ready to join those who were being treated in this way. And she put, she put in parentheses a, a time I went through in college. And, and then she put another scripture. This is, this is us, isn't it? Like, we speak not just about our lives and about Jesus, but we speak the word of God. Like, we are true letter carriers to the world. Paul's like, you are my letters written on the hearts of men. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that, that you would make us a culture of love. I think it's here, Lord, but oh, it could always increase. And Father, for the dopamine hits that... We may get with gossip. I pray that you would just, that you would just put your spirit in our hearts and our minds. Go, what are you doing? That just tears at the fabric of the church and of relationships. You don't need that. If you're putting people down because you feel ashamed, know that Jesus bore all your shame. Let him affirm you to the ceiling. Lord, may... May our lives be um, looking like you on this earth. Uh, abide in us and may we abide in you. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. So lead us on. Lead us on, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.